Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17. Uh, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. All right, this is God's word. Let me, let me pray real quick. Uh, God, we pray that uh, today would be a day uh, where, you know, we feel your presence uh, in our church, especially as we ordain a new elder and a new deacon. And we pray, God, that we would see your design for your church. And, you know, as flawed as it is and as flawed as uh, leaders are, uh, to know that even in the midst of our flaws, your grace is greater uh, than even uh, our weakness and even our sin. And, uh, you know, in spite of all the kinds of things that happened throughout the history of the church, your gospel still goes forth and people still come to know the grace of Jesus. And so we pray that your presence would be with us um, and your gospel would continue to be proclaimed through all uh, your churches. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. As I mentioned, today we're going to ordain a new elder and a new deacon to join the church council. And for those of you who may not be aware uh, kind of like how the governing government of the church works. Uh, we belong to a denomination called the Christian Reformed Church. In the Christian Reformed Church, it's the pastor, the elders, and the deacons that form what's called a church council. And the church council is the, is the governing body of the church. So, even though uh, I'm up here very frequently, and then Pastor Fred is up here very frequently, one of the things that we want to, to convey is... Uh, you know, the church is not led by simply just pastors, right? Uh, The church is led by a plurality of leaders. And I was so happy because I kind of prepped the youth group kids. And uh, today what we did is we talked about, like, church governance and elders and deacons because I wanted them to understand, like, what we're doing here. And I said, guys, who do you think the leader of the church is? And, um, you know, actually, let me ask you, who's the leader of the church? Well, you guys know the answer, right? Jesus, right? Everybody's going to say, oh, it's the pastor, it's the elder, it's the deacon. I was like, wrong, right? Jesus is the head of the church. So ultimately, Jesus is a leader. Elders and deacons, we uh, mediate Jesus' authority through his word. So in a sense, we just want to carry out what Jesus' will for the church is. Uh, but I was also happy that they didn't say pastor. They actually said pastor, elder, deacon. So they, they are aware that this is not a church led by one person, which I think is a, is a great blessing that that kind of thing um, they are even absorbing in terms of what the church is and what the church looks like. So uh, I, you know, I kind of wanted the kids to be present, even if they might not understand everything that's going on. I want them to see like what we're doing, uh, what it means to like ordain, what it looks like to ordain an elder and deacon, and at least kind of absorb it maybe through uh, osmosis, um, how, how the church works and how the church is structured and who the leaders are. Now, when we started this process of nominating uh, uh, potential elders and deacons, I already preached on the qualifications of elder and deacon that we find in First Timothy a couple months ago. So uh, I won't do that again. But yesterday I was like praying and meditating on you know, what kind of message would be a good message to preach on this occasion? And I was led to this verse in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17. And even though it's like a very short verse, I think it has a lot to say about leadership, uh, both explicitly and implicitly. So first, I want to talk about some of the implicit things that this verse tells us about leadership. The passage tells us that Oh, by the way, if any like uh, of the younger ones, like really younger ones, are getting antsy, feel free to like use the back room. Okay, so um, you know, don't don't worry if um, it's it's hard. 
uh, we are a family and to be expected. So anyway, first, I want to talk about some of the implicit things that this verse tells us. This passage tells us that uh, the leaders of the church are the ones who keep watch over your souls. Now, I'm thinking this probably is specifically referring to elders as shepherds of the church, but uh, that's an important call and one that all leaders should take seriously because what it also says is leaders will be held accountable before God for the souls under their care. And personally, as a pastor, I don't love uh, thinking about that because it's like a little bit scary, but I think the fact that it's a little bit scary is actually one of the aspects uh, of what it means to be a leader, okay? We all have different images of when we think uh, when we think about a leader, maybe we think about a leader as someone who, you know, is uh, who creates the rules or someone who like talks a lot and tells people what to do. But I don't think that's what necessarily makes somebody a leader. Uh, all that does is it makes them a manager, uh, which is not to say that leaders don't do some managing. But I don't think that's the essence of what it means to be a leader. Rather, I think the essence of a leader is actually the willingness and the ability to take responsibility. That's why leading is ultimately about serving because, you know, sometimes people in the secular world, you know, desire or crave positions of leadership because uh, a lot of times, you know, in the secular world, it comes with greater compensation or more status or more power where you could put your imprint on something. But, you know, on the other side of that, there is a burden of responsibility that you have to take and that you have to carry for other people or for the performance of something or whatever else that that role may entail. And that is not always the easiest burden to carry. And most people, I think, uh, probably prefer to shun that kind of responsibility because it can be a heavy burden. But let me ask, you know, all the older siblings here, whether you're a kid or whether you're an adult, Do you like it, or did you like it if you're an older sibling? I'm a younger sibling, so uh, this doesn't apply to me. Do you like it when your parents give you all the responsibility to take care of your younger sibling? Probably not, right? Uh, You probably want to be free. You probably just want to be responsible for yourself. You probably don't want to have to worry about the behavior of your younger brother or your younger sister. But you see, that's what makes you a leader, in your own way. It is your willingness to say, I will take this responsibility, and it's a burden that I don't want to carry, but I'll carry it as an act of service. Uh, You may use that responsibility in a sinful way to uh, boss around your younger siblings, but that's not where you're displaying leadership. You display leadership when you take that responsibility seriously and with the utmost care. And you say, I'm going to care for my younger sibling, and I'm going to make sure that they're okay. Do you know what Adam's sin was in the Garden of Eden? Uh, I think his sin ultimately is he shirked his responsibility. Now think about this. It's interesting that when you read Genesis 3, the main characters there is Eve, who is the one who talked to the serpent, and the serpent, right? They're, they're communicating. The serpent deceived Eve, and uh, they both. she gives the fruit to Adam, and they both eat and sin enters into the world. But then, when you read the New Testament, like Romans 5, for example, whose name is attributed for sin entering into the world? It's Adam, not Eve. Now, why? Why is it Adam? Wasn't it Eve the one who was deceived? Wasn't Eve the one who gave the fruit uh, to Adam to eat? Well, the reason why it's Adam's sin 
is because he was ultimately the one who was supposed to be responsible. He was the one who should have said to the serpent, no, that's not what God said. But he's silent on the sidelines, and he's shirking his responsibility, and he's giving it to Eve. I think that's a sin. Now, you can understand why someone would want to shirk their responsibility, because it is not easy to carry that burden. It's why uh, most people are willing to help with something, but not willing to lead something. If you lead something, guess what? You always have to be there. You're responsible for it. Uh, you can't call out. Uh, if you're the one who's leading something, you're the one who has to like reorganize and rearrange your life around that responsibility. But if you're just helping out, you can back out. You can say, well, you know, I, I can't be there. I can't help out. You can say, well, oh, this thing is much more exciting to go to. I'd rather go to this thing. And, oh, I'm not responsible because I'm, I'm not a leader. And uh, you're not committed to anything. And I think it's why, at the end of the day, most churches don't have enough leaders. It's not because people aren't capable. People are very capable and incredibly gifted. But it's because that responsibility is hard. <laughs> it's a heavy burden. And uh, most of us don't want that burden. And when that responsibility is especially to watch over the souls of the church as those who will have to give an account... That's a little scary because that's a, that's a high calling. That's a heavy responsibility. But for those who are willing to answer that call and take that responsibility, it really is a genuine act of service for the church. And that's why today is a very important occasion as we ordain Sam as an elder and Joanne as a deacon to serve on the church council because what they're saying is, I'm willing to take this burden of responsibility to love the church, to serve the church, and to care for the church. So what does that then mean for the congregation? Uh, Well, the passage says, first, you should obey your leaders and submit to them. Uh, I should probably say more about that, especially because, you know, there's a lot of corruption of leadership and things like that. But uh, for the sake of time, I'm just going to gloss over that, and I want to actually focus on something else. The second thing it says to the congregation. Second, it says this. We should let them, right, the leaders, let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Let me read that again. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be no advantage to you. Now, since leadership is not easy, congregations should probably try to make the burden of leadership a little bit more joyful and a little bit less uh, filled with, like, ugh. All right, that's a groan, like, ugh. Uh, there's an author named Jim Collins. Jim Collins writes uh, these secular books on uh, businesses and business leadership, and he wrote this book called Good to Great. And what it is, it's basically a book about business leadership and corporate leadership, and he's trying to identify what makes somebody kind of like a level five leader, not just like a typical leader, but what's, what's the kind of leader who takes uh, companies to, like, the next level, Right? Uh, so, very popular book. But did you know he actually wrote a supplemental, like, little pamphlet to that book called Good to Great and the Social Sectors, Why Business Thinking is Not the Answer. And he decided, you know, leadership within the social sectors is very different than leadership in the business world that I have to kind of write an addendum or another chapter. And basically, he says this. He's saying organizations like nonprofits, organizations like churches are very different than business organizations. In a business, you have employees, you have incentive structures. The leader can basically get people to do what they want 
I guess somewhat easily because, um, you know, because they're employees and they get paid and they get compensated. But then he says, you know, in social sectors where you're largely working with volunteers, where you're largely working with people with less incentive structures, where you have to operate within a diffuse power structure, he says it's actually a greater challenge, and therefore these sectors require better leadership. So leaders in these sectors have to rely much more on the importance of its mission and really have to have this disposition, uh, not of like a, a, I don't know, power monger, but really need to have a disposition of a servant because now you're trying to get people on board not to follow you, but to get on board with whatever the mission is. Uh, so I'll give you an example. He, uh, he interviewed a bunch of like, CEOs of nonprofits. He interviewed the CEO of Girl Scouts. And uh, uh, he, he like, said this inadvertent phrase, like, you know, you're on top of the organization. And then she said, I'm actually not on top of the, I'm the CEO, but I'm not on top of the organization. I'm at the very bottom of the organization. Um, I'm the one who has to, uh, you know, serve the most. And uh, the mission is actually on the top of the organization. And I, I think when, when she says that, it actually characterizes Christian leadership pretty well because of the difference between the structures in the business world and social sectors. Uh, this, this author actually thinks the best leaders are probably going to be found not in the business world, but in the social sectors. And he says the irony is these social sectors are always looking to business leaders for their leadership models. But Jim Collins says it should probably be the reverse, right? Business leaders should probably look at these nonprofit and social sectors to gain an understanding of true leadership. Now, given how much harder it is to be a leader within social sectors, how much more important then is it for us to ensure that serving in a position of leadership is something that is full of joy rather than something that is a chore. But let me ask you a practical question. So when it says that, what do you envision? How do you make, serve, how do you make serving as a leader more joyful for those leaders? And I'll speak a little bit subjectively here. I, I actually don't think it's by uh, giving a compliment, although I'm sure compliments and appreciation are uh, you know, appreciated. It's not necessarily saying good job. And uh, I think joy actually comes from something that is deeper and something that is deeply connected to the mission. Why else would someone lead in these kinds of sectors? Why does somebody uh, decide to serve the church in such a way? My guess is because the mission is that important. If you're a leader in the church, I hope your desire is to see God work in the lives of people and in the life of the church. I, I think you want to see people pursuing Christ and delighting in Christ and growing in Christ and being transformed by Christ. You want to see people experience grace and uh, experience healing and being reconciled in all of their relationships. You want to hear testimonies of how God is working in the church because then all those struggles and all those sacrifices actually feel like they're worth it. We are a church, and for whatever reason, the church is God's instrument in proclaiming the gospel in word and deed to the world. We are here to be a place where people can experience the grace of God as they hear how God has loved them and how Jesus has died upon a cross for them. We are here at, together as a community where people can then see the implications of this gospel who have received this love 
who now share this love with one another. And if you belong to this church, then I hope, I would hope that that's at least part of the reason why you're here. And if you're a leader in this church, why would you sacrifice so much of your time, so much of your energy towards something unless you find the mission of it to be incredibly important? It's because you know Jesus himself exercised his leadership by taking responsibility for us, for our sin, carrying the burden upon himself when he died upon the cross. And to that end, I think that's why it's important to actually share our testimonies. Not necessarily a testimony of coming to faith, but testimony of how God is at work in your lives. Testimonies of how, hey, you know, someone prayed for me and God answered that prayer. That's, that's a great testimony to hear. And I think as a leader, it's like, oh, wow. I didn't do anything, but God certainly is moving and working here. And that makes it a joy to serve. Testimonies of how, you know, through the context of worship or through the context of a prayer meeting, God spoke to you in powerful ways, gave you a conviction, led you to repentance. I think these kinds of testimonies are actually the kinds of testimonies that make serving as a leader great joy. So I guess my encouragement to you as a congregation, as you think about the folks who are leading, uh, who are doing a lot of things behind the scenes, who have to give up many evenings and many weekends uh, to serve this body, uh, to not take them for granted, to not make their work a burden, uh, but to actually make their work a joy and say, wow, God has really worked in this community and I'm so thankful Uh, You know what steals joy? Uh, Grumbling heart, infighting and division, cynicism, maybe apathy. Sometimes leaders have to deal with these things, uh, which is part of the burden of that responsibility. But I think to the degree that the church can fight these things, it would bring great joy for those leaders who uh, opt to serve. And when you have leaders who serve with joy, the author of Hebrews says it's not for their advantage, but it's for your advantage. Let me pray. God, as we get ready to uh, ordain uh, Sam and Joanne today as uh, new officers to serve on this church council, uh, we pray, God, that that very thing, that uh, the time and the energy and the sacrifice that they put in into serving this congregation uh, would be something that would be um, joyful to them. And I don't know, I think everybody here knows, uh, you know, the life stages that, um, you know, they're in and the life stages that many of us are in. This is definitely not the time, easiest time to, to serve and to sacrifice. And, you know, what's uh, oftentimes typical when, uh, you know, people reach these stages of having kids and having to, you know, care for parents uh, as well, um, you know, usually serving the church kind of uh, drops by the wayside. But for whatever reason, I think by your grace, uh, you have given them the desire to, to serve this church and this body. And so I pray that you would honor uh, their sacrifice and the congregation would uh, continue to serve and serve you and support them uh, as, they, as they serve in these roles. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.